Section 9 of The Oakdale Affair by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Case Jr. opened his mouth and eyes so wide that there was little left of his face. But that's nothing, bragged the kid. I shot a man, too. Last night, whispered the boy. Yep, replied the bad man tersely. Gosh, said the young Mr. Case but there was that in his facial expression which brought to the Oskaloosa Kid a sudden regret that he had thus rashly confided in a stranger. "'Say,' said the Kid, after a moment's strained silence, "'don't tell anyone, will you? If you'll promise, I'll give you a dollar.' And he hunted through his roll of bills for one of that lowly denomination. "'All right,' agreed the case boy. "'I won't say a word. Where's the dollar?' The youth drew a bill from his roll and handed it to the other. "'If you tell,' he whispered, and he bent close toward the other's ear and spoke in a menacing tone, "'If you tell, I'll kill you.' "'Gosh!' said Willie Case. At this moment Case Peer and Mir emerged from the kitchen loaded with provender. "'Ears enough and more'n enough, I reckon,' said Jeb Case. "'We got eggs, butter, bread, bacon, milk, and a mite of garden sass.' "'But we ain't a-goin' to charge you for nothin' for the garden sass,' interjected Mrs. Case. "'That's awfully nice of you,' replied the kid. "'How much do I owe you for the rest of it?' "'Oh,' said Jeb Case, rubbing his chin, eyeing the big roll of bills, and wondering just the limit he might raise to, "'I reckon about four dollars and six bits.' The Oskaloosa kid peeled a five-dollar bill from his roll and proffered it to the farmer. "'I'm ever so much obliged.' he said, and you needn't mind about any change. I thank you so much, with which he took the several packages and pails and turned toward the road. You gotta return them pails, shouted Mrs. Case after him. Oh, of course, replied the kid. Gosh, exclaimed Mr. Case feelingly. I wished I'd asked six bits more. I might just as well a got it as not. Gosh, eh? Gosh, murmured Willie Case fervently. Back down the sticky road plodded the Oskaloosa kid, his arms heavy and his heart light, for was he not bringing home the bacon literally as well as figuratively? As he entered the squib's gateway he saw the girl and Bridge standing upon the veranda waiting his coming, and as he approached them and they caught a nearer view of his great burden of provisions they hailed him with loud acclaim. "'Some artist!' cried the man and to think that I doubted your ability to make a successful touch. Forgive me. You are the ne plus ultra non est cum quidibus in hoc signo vincis, only an original kind of handout compellers. How in the world did you do it? asked the girl rapturously. Oh, it's easy when you know how, replied the Oskaloosa kid carelessly, as, with the help of the others, he carried the fruits of his expedition into the kitchen. Here Bridge busied himself about the stove, adding more wood to the fire and scrubbing a portion of the top plate as clean as he could get it with such crude means as he could discover about the place. The youth he sent to the nearby brook for water after selecting the least dirty of the several empty tin cans lying about the floor of the summer kitchen. He warned against the use of the water from the old well, and while the boy was away cut a generous portion of the bacon into long, thin strips. Shortly after, the water coming to the boil, Bridge lowered three eggs into it, glanced at his watch, greased one of the new clean stove lids with a piece of bacon rind, and laid out as many strips of bacon as the lid would accommodate. 
Instantly the room was filled with the delicious odor of the frying bacon. Hmm, gloated the Oskaloosa Kid. I wish I had bought asked for more. My, but I never smelled anything so good as that in all my life. Are you going to boil only three eggs? I could eat a dozen. The can'll only hold three at a time, explained Bridge. We'll have some more boiling while we are eating these. He borrowed his knife from the girl, who was slicing and buttering bread with it, and turned the bacon swiftly and deftly with the point. Then he glanced at his watch. The three minutes are up, he announced and with a couple of small flat sticks saved for the purpose from the kindling wood withdrew the eggs one at a time from the can but we have no cups exclaimed the oskaloosa kid in sudden despair bridge laughed knock an end off your egg and the shell will answer in place of a cup got a knife the kid didn't bridge eyed him quizzically you must have done most of your burgling near home he commented i'm not a burglar cried the youth indignantly Somehow it was very different when this nice-voiced man called him a burglar from bragging of the fact himself to such as the Sky Pilot's villainous company or the awestruck, open-mouthed Willie Case, whose very expression invited heroics. Bridge made no reply, but his eyes wandered to the right-hand side-pocket of the boy's coat. Instantly the latter glanced guiltily downward to flush redly at the sight of several inches of pearl necklace protruding accusingly therefrom. The girl, a silent witness of the occurrence, was brought suddenly and painfully to a realization of her present position and recollection of the happenings of the preceding night. For the time she had forgotten that she was alone in the company of a tramp and a burglar. How much worse either might be she could only guess. The breakfast, commenced so auspiciously, continued in gloomy silence. At least the girl and the Oskaloosa kid were silent and gloom-steeped, bridge was thoughtful but far from morose his spirits were unquenchable i'm afraid he said that i shall have to replace james his defection is unforgivable and he has misplaced the finger bowls the youth and the girl forced wan smiles but neither spoke bridge drew a pouch of tobacco and some papers from an inside pocket i had the makings and i smoked and wondered over different things thinkin' as how this old world joked in calling only some men kings while I sat there a-blowin' rings. He paused to kindle a sliver of wood at the stove. In these parlous times, he spoke as though to himself, one must economize. They're taking a quarter of an ounce out of each five cents worth of chewing, I'm told, so doubtless each box must be five or six matches short of full count. Even these papers seem thinner than of yore, and they will only sell one book to a customer at that. Indeed, Sherman was right. The youth and the girl remained occupied with their own thoughts, and after a moment's silence the vagabond resumed, Me? I was king of anywhere, pegging away at nothing hard, having no pet particular care, having no trouble or no pard. Just me, filled up my calling card. "'Say, do you know I've learned to love this Nibs person? "'I used to think of him as a poor attic prune "'grinding away in his New York sky parlor, "'writing his verse of the things he longed for "'but had never known, "'until one day I met a fellow between Victorville and Cahoon Pass "'who knew his Nibs, "'and come to find out this Nibs is a regular fellow. 
His attic covers all God's country that is out of doors, and he knows the road from La Bahada Hill to Barstow, a darn sight better than he knows Broadway. There was no answering sympathy awakened in either of his listeners. They remained mute. Bridge rose and stretched. He picked up his knife, wiped off the blade, closed it, and slipped it into a trouser's pocket. Then he walked toward the door. At the threshold he paused and turned. "'Good-bye, girls, I'm through,' he quoted, and passed out into the sunlight. Instantly the two within were on their feet and following him. "'Where are you going?' cried the Oskaloosa kid. "'You're not going to leave us, are you?' "'Oh, please don't,' pleaded the girl. "'I don't know,' said Bridge solemnly, "'whether I'm safe in remaining in your society or not. "'This Oskaloosa kid is a bad proposition.' And as for you, young lady, I rather imagine that the town constable is looking for you right now. The girl winced. Please don't, she begged. I haven't done anything wicked, honestly. But I want to get away so that they can't question me. I was in the car when they killed him, but I had nothing to do with it. It is just because of my father that I don't want them to find me. It would break his heart. As the three stood back of the squib's summer kitchen, Fate, in the guise of a rural free delivery carrier and a Ford, passed by the front gate. A mile beyond he stopped at the case mailbox where Jeb and his son Willie were, as usual, waiting for his coming, for the rural free delivery man often carries more news than is contained in his mail sacks. "'Mornin', Jeb,' he called as he swerved his light car from the road and drew up in front of the case gate. "'Mornin', Jim,' returned Mr. Case. "'Nice rain we had last night. What's the news?' "'Plenty, plenty,' exclaimed the carrier. "'Lived here nigh on to forty year, man and boy, and never seen such work before in all my life.' "'How's that?' questioned the farmer, sending something interesting. "'Old man Baggs murdered last night,' announced the carrier, watching eagerly for the effect of his announcement. "'Gosh!' gasped Willie Case. "'Was he shot?' It was almost a scream. "'I don't know,' replied Jim. "'He's up to the horse-pedal now, and the doc says he ain't to one chance in a thousand. "'Gosh!' exclaimed Mr. Case. "'But they ain't all,' continued Jim. "'Reggie Painter was murdered last night, too, right on the pike south of town. "'They threw his corpse out in an automobile.' "'By gall!' cried Jeb Case. "'I hearn them devils go by last night, about midnight or after. "'Twoke me up!' They must have been a-going sixty mile an hour. Er, say, he stopped to scratch his head. Maybe it was tramps. They must have been a-scoring em around here yesterday, and last night, and again this morning. I never seen so dumb many bums in my life. And that ain't all, went on the carrier, ignoring the other's comments. Oakdale's all tore up. Abby Prim's disappeared, and Jonas Prim's house was robbed just about the same time old man Baggs is murdered, er, most murdered. Chances is he's dead by this time anyhow. Doc said he hadn't no chance. Gosh, it was a paterfilius duet. But that ain't all, gloated Jim. Two of the persons in the car with Reggie Painter were recognized, and who do you think one of them was, eh? One of them was Abby Prim and t'other was a slick crook from Toledo, New York, that's called the Oskaloosie Kid. By gum, I'll bet they get him in no time. 
Why, already Jonas Prim's got a regular detective down from Chicago, and the board of selectmen's offered a reward of fifty dollars for the arrest and conviction of the perpetrators of these dastardly crimes. Gosh, cried Willie Case, I know. But then he paused. If he told all he knew, he saw plainly that either the carrier or his father would profit by it and collect the reward. Fifty dollars, Willie gasped. Well, said Jim, I gotta be on my way. Here's the tribune. There ain't nothing more for ye. So long. Get up. And he was gone. I don't see why he don't carry a whip, mused Jeb Case. A giddy-uppin' to that there tin Lizzie, he muttered disgustedly. Just like it was as good as a hoss. But I mind the time, the first day he got the ding thing, he gets out and tries to lead it by Lem Smith's thrashing machine. Jeb Case preferred an audience worthy his mettle. But Willie was better than no one, yet when he turned to note the effect of his remarks on his son, Willie was nowhere to be seen. If Jed had but known it, his young hopeless was already in the loft of the hay-barn, deep in a small red-covered book entitled How to Be a Detective. Bridge, who had no intention of deserting his helpless companions, appeared at last to yield reluctantly to their pleas. That indefinable something about the youth which appealed strongly to the protective instinct in the man also assured him that the other's mask of criminality was for the most part assumed, even though the stories of the two yeggmen and the loot-bulging pockets argued to the contrary. There was the chance, however, that the boy had really taken the first step upon the road toward a criminal career, and, if such were the case, Bridge felt morally obligated to protect his new-found friend from arrest, secure in the reflection that his own precept and example would do more to lead him back into the path of rectitude than would any police magistrate or penal institute. For the girl he felt a deep pity. In the past he had had knowledge of more than one other small-town girl led into wrongdoing through the deadly monotony and flagrant hypocrisy of her environment, himself highly imaginative and keenly sensitive he realized with what depth of horror the girl anticipated a return to her home and friends after the childish escapade which had culminated even through no fault of hers in criminal tragedy of the most sordid sort End of section nine.